no stranger to this church, make Brother Wayne Huntley feel at home here today. Let's preach. And everybody said, praise the Lord. And you may be seated. I will say this just once, and I don't like to um, bring attention to that which is negative, but I have been smelling smoke and inhaling ashes and just finished a camp meeting. So my voice is extremely weak today, and I will not be able, unless God, which He has done many times, just supernaturally steps in here and gives me strength, then I will not be able to really be at full force this morning. Although I would love to be at full force because this is one of the finest moments of my ministry. I have been granted, thank you, I have been granted opportunities far beyond my deserving to stand in significant moments and minister platforms of prestige and admirable places that many, many would be envious to do. I never found them as such an exaltation of myself, but as a humbling challenge of privilege granted by the Spirit. Such is what I am in today. And I have never tried to just sermonize and say, well, let me get my best sermon for this moment. Uh... Of course, the best sermon is the right one at the right time. It doesn't matter what your opinion of the preparation or the revelation. If it's not the voice of God to the church at that time, it's a mess. It's a failure. So I've sought the Lord about the service today. And I think we could dismiss right now and say that my message has already been preached. However, we will be redundant and be repetitive. But you haven't heard it from my voice. And so I have the right to add my postured position of personal relevance to this wonderful, wonderful family. First, let me say that it's a joy to be in church with Sister Marcus. Our one and only child, Christy, was named after Christine Marcus. And she has taken your giftings, the inspiration that you gave to my wife, and she has blessed the Temple of Pentecost and the world with her musical ability and talents. She has written over 500 songs, and many of them are sung around the nation. And I take that from her back to you, and we honor you for what you meant to my precious wife. Thank you, Sister Marcus. I do miss Brother Marcus here today, and Brother Green, I thought while my wife was singing, and I was so admiring her as she sung. She has sung before I preached many, many times. She actually sung before I preached, before I knew her. We were at Texas Bible College, and they put together a, the chapel service, and I was chosen to speak, and they asked Patsy Landtrip to sing before I preach. And I've always enjoyed having a little humor out of it, Brother Garrett. The song that she sung that day was, I'll Regret. <laughs> now, the rest of it was, I didn't give a little bit more to the Lord. But all I thought about is, you may regret this. She sung right before me and I preached and that was my introduction to her. And I said, I'd like for her to do that every time I preach. And so God has favored me with that. And then I could not begin to approach this pulpit without acknowledging Brother and Sister McLean. There is no way possible that I could stand here today and preach without acknowledging 
the influence, the impact, and the rich blessing they have been to our life. I haven't shared this even, I don't think, with my wife, but Sister McLean, in a recent service in Raleigh, after church, unbeknownst to each other, two different ladies in our service came to me and said, Brother Huntley, while you were on the platform tonight, I looked at you and two different women said, I saw Wayne McLean. Two different ladies. Two ladies have been raised in our church through the years. Different places in the church. In the same service. And I said, that's the highest compliment I've ever been given in my life. And I stand here today firmly entrenched upon that. God bless brother and sister McLean. Brother Green and Brother McLean, powerful friends, apostolic pillars in the body of Christ. They allowed my wife and I to preach revivals for them when we fresh out of Bible college. And I look back now and I, 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 I shall ever be indebted to you and maybe at some point I could give you the offering back. <laughs> because I know that we got more out of those privileges than we ever contributed to those congregations. It's very important and imperative that no matter where we go in life or how God elevates or blesses, we never break the connection with our roots. We are indebted to our roots and to those who invested in us and believed in us before anyone else had ever heard of us. And I shall always, by the grace of God, be faithful to what I learned from this wonderful man of God and this man of God who privileged us as young people to preach in their churches. Their families are impeccable in their character, exemplary in their purity of apostolic truth, and these young men that they have raised, mighty men of God in their own right. And I'm thrilled just to know them. If you'd like to stand for the reading of the Word, it'll be almost so brief you won't even know I've stated it before you're back down, but... I have to preach what I felt the Lord would have me to preach. And Brother Garrett, once again, privileged to be in your presence. I hope that Brother and Sister Green continue to have anniversaries so I can see you every five years. <laughs> A wonderful man of God. Brother Powell, thank you for being here today. All of our ministers and guests that are here, God bless you. What a testament it is of influence and impact that people will put aside their personal agendas and come and celebrate together. I knew that we would be pressed to be here today, present circumstances, preaching engagements, responsibilities, but this is the highest priority right here, and we're thrilled to be here. We love Sister Green, one of the sweetest, most precious, kind, encouraging ladies in the world, and we thank God for her. Your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Sorry. <laughs> I heard a groan from the next speaker. <laughs> Luke 15 and 11. And would everybody read with me this one passage of Scripture? Ready? And he said, A certain man had two sons. I guess we could rewrite that and say a certain man had five sons. 
I preach to you today on the celebration of a certain man. The celebration of a certain man. Give the Lord a hand clap, would you, right now before you're seated? And everybody said, praise the Lord. You may be seated. What we're doing here is directly related to who we are, what we are, and it is in total agreement with the Word of God. We are in a generation that is dumbing down pulpit authority. The ministry is being devalued. In a lot of churches, the ministry doesn't even occupy a place on the platform. Now, you do what you need to do. I'm not criticizing anyone. But I'm telling you, there is a generation that does not want authority in their lives. But the thing that has separated this church and brought an anointing, as I will share in the message, is the fact that we have understood that although men are just men, they are appointed and they are anointed. And that separates them. And that they are worthy of double honor. So it's a high privilege to be involved in this celebration of apostolic legacy and continuance. We're talking about 45 years. The average pastor of all denominations resides in a local church's pulpit for about 18 months. And they change preachers. Nothing can be done with a rotating door to the pulpit. The thing that creates what's here today is a lifetime of commitment and sacrifice and blessing and serving. So as we celebrate the history of this iconic church, I feel absolutely compelled to emphasize and exaggerate the very foundation of its success and its consistency. I recently read this verse of scripture and you know the Bible is as fresh as tomorrow's newspaper. It is so revelatory, so up to date, and even so advanced that every time you read it, you get something new from the Word of God. Can I get a witness? And somebody said, well, why didn't I see that back then? You probably didn't need it back then. Because this is our daily bread. He gives us our daily bread. Ephesians 2.20, a verse that all apostolics know, and I'd like to read it for you this morning. Ephesians 2.20. And we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Would you repeat after me the word, a man. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles. One more time. Apostles. Prophets. Jesus Christ. God and man. My point is the foundation that the church is built upon three-fourths of the elementary foundations of the church is men. The apostles were men. The prophets were men. Jesus Christ was God and man. And the Bible said that's what the church is built upon. Three out of four was humanity. So we are not wrong to celebrate what a man has meant to God and to the work of God. So my point would be remiss not to celebrate the incredible, undeniable influence upon the storied history of blessing, apostolic revival, and this church that resides in the 
very position, posture, and person of Jerry Green. He is this church in flesh. I know you've clapped a lot. You've made him uncomfortable. Would you do it one more time? So we gather today to obey 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3. We celebrate your work that's produced by faith. Your labor that is prompted by love. And your endurance that has been inspired by hope. We celebrate a certain man. The Bible said a certain man. I don't think this verse has ever been more applicable to the generation we're living in when men don't know whether they're male or female. It's a sad society so confused that you don't know whether you're a man or a woman. We celebrate a certain man who is certain about who he is. Certain about what he is. Certain about where he is. Certain about his conviction, his commitment, his calling. In this world that is so full of vacillation, indecision, compromise, we celebrate a man who is certain about who he is and what he is. Now, you know, God put David and Goliath, which I'll preach about a little later. Barnabas, the prodigal son. You know why that's in the Bible? So preachers would have something to preach. If it wasn't for those stories, I don't know what we'd do. But the prodigal son is one that we've oft referred to. What I read to you is called the parable of the prodigal son. However, we could also headline it, the era of the elder son. The elder son is one that did right, but he did right wrong. Because he stayed home, but resented both his father and his brother. It's not enough to do right, saints. We need to do right, right. And that's doing right with a right attitude. Let me go this a little bit further there. It's no time... For us to hate sinners. It is no time for us to resent a lost world. We are not here to hate them or to resent them. We are here to save them. We could even bring attention to the unknown in this text. And that's the whereabouts of the missing unmentioned mother. Now we know a certain man didn't have two sons. (laughs) There had to have been a mother somewhere. But in our story, she does not even carry enough influence to be mentioned. So you got a rebellious son a resentful son, and a missing mother. So I choose to rather highlight and celebrate a certain father. I would like to rewrite this story and call it the parable of the admirable father. The parable of the admirable father. 
in the face of all the confusion, contradiction, and calamity. I celebrate a man who refused to sell the farm. But he maintained the fences. He painted the barns. He planted the crops. He took care of the livestock. And he remained faithful, forgiving, and firmly committed. I've known Brother and Sister Green long enough to know that this church has not always looked like this. It has not always appeared like this. There had to be Sunday after Sunday when there was discouragement, when there was defeat, when there was disillusionment. But God somehow put it in Him to come back to the pulpit and say in the face of it all, we're never going to sell this farm. His conviction appeared to be someday my sons will want to come home. And there must be a recognizable home for him when he returns. It's already been said, but indulge me. How marvelous that when the prodigals return, they can recognize the home they left. I'm going to be real here just a moment. There's a lot of backslidden Pentecostals that are coming back to their home churches. And they're wondering, where did it go? This is nothing like what I left. This is nothing like I was raised in. This is nothing like was where my home was. I'm glad that when folks come back to the Apostolic Pentecostal Church, they find we're still preaching, we're still praying, and we're still praising. We're still preaching one Lord, one faith, one baptism, Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, apostolic worship, miracles, signs, wonders, holiness, standards, covenants, identification with God. Thank God this still looks like home. Just in the brief time that we lost our home to the fire. It's only been over a week now. Maybe ten days. Two weeks. Three times I know of. I've been in the city. And I started home. And then I had to stop and realize. It's not there anymore. It's not there anymore. What a horrible feeling to want to go home. But home is not there. How comforting to know if you get in a pig pen and smell like slop, there is still a home. There is still a home. I want backsliders to come back to the church I pastor and find it still home. That only happened because a father was certain and refused to give in, give up, or go back. And for years, 
maybe you got this revelation 40 years ago and I was slow coming to it. Bear with me. For years I've heard it incorrectly sung about and even misquoted. That the prodigal said, I will arise and go to my father's house. Incorrect. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15 verse 18. I have sinned. I will arise. And I will go. To my father. The thing that brought that boy out of humiliation and degradation. Was not the father's house. It was the nature of his father. He just knew if I can just get to where my father is. He will not resent me. He will not reject me. He will not criticize me. He will not condemn me. But I know my father well enough to know. If I can get where he is. Everything's going to be all right. How different the story might have been had he sought futilely for an invisible mother. And it would probably have been even worse, Brother Powell, if he would have met his brother. And maybe that's why the Bible said the father ran. Because he knew I got to beat this crazy other kid of mine. If I don't get to this boy first, he won't find his mother. And his brother is not going to welcome him home. Thank God for a pastor, I'll preach just a moment, who's had to resist some saints that weren't really as of the spirit they should be. But the backsliders met the father before they met the rebellious saints. Then I never made it back. So let me quickly show you the nature of a certain father or a certain man. The Bible said that when the prodigal started home, we have a walking prodigal and a running father. The father was more excited about the boy coming back than the boy was. This city is full of backsliders. If they just knew there was a church, that would be more excited about them coming back than they are. These pews would be full. Somewhere there's got to be a church that won't sit on the front porch and say, bless God, he left home. He knows where it's at. But give us a church that will run and meet them. Besides that, you may be seated. The Bible said, while he was yet a great way off, 
We can't expect them to get all the way home without our help. And we can't wait till they get all the way home to love them. The main point is not where he was. It's where he was headed. We've got to love them not because they are there, but because they are headed the right way. And while he was away off, he fell on his neck. He wasn't afraid of becoming tainted by the stink of the hog pen. Matter of fact, I've always heard this. You can, you can tell a true shepherd from a fake by one thing. True shepherds will always smell like sheep. So he ran to him. And so when he arrived home, the father turned to one of his servants and said, bring, I love this, bring hither the, the fatted calf. Not just a calf. You know, servant, which one I'm talking about. It's the fatted calf. It appears to me that the day the boy left, the father stalled a calf. And every day he began to feed it. And he said, one day, my boy is coming back. And when he comes back, we're going to butcher you and we're going to have a celebration. It was a designated, demarcated, separated, specified, unique, saved calf. Not for any day, but for my homecoming party for my son when he comes back. If you've got backsliders in your home, you need to start feeding a calf. Don't live in doubt or discouragement. But every day, feed that calf. Saying one day my boy's coming back. And when he comes back, we're going to have a celebration. My Lord, help us here. These, these young men, these green men have all expressed how that, you know, Brother Green is renowned for conservatism, for unbending, unwavering commitment to standards and to conviction and to holiness. But there is a side of him that you wouldn't know unless you were in this church. It's just like one time I was preaching a camp meeting. And you know how Patsy is. <laughs> just gun barrel straight. <laughs> so I, I preached at, at this camp many years ago. And this guy, he, guy he's, he's awesome. Eyes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About the sermon. Oh, yeah. Blah, 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 all this stuff. And he says, oh, 
I would love for you to be my pastor. My wife's standing right there. She steps up and she says, I doubt that. Because there's a difference in a camp meeting preacher and a pastor. And you can see somebody on the platform of a conference, but that's not the pastoral role. You feel that role, then you go home and feel the other role. But the role that you don't know about Jerry Green, unless you know him personally, is he is equally and even superiorly a man of mercy and grace and forgiveness. And that's why this church is what it is today. You're blessed with a certain man. He don't get up in the morning debating what he's going to preach. He don't get up in the morning and decide which way he's going to live. Every day is the same. Take your stand for holiness. Take your stand for doctrine. Take your stand for truth. But let the reputation go forth. You won't make it back to this church by yourself. Somebody's going to leave the porch. And while you're yet afar off, we're going to embrace you and say, come on back to the Father's house. And you may ask to be made a servant, but you'll never be a servant. You're going to be reinstated to sonship. I'll close with this one final, to me, revelatory point. Every preacher that's in this room today knows what it is to get a biblical principle in your mind or a thought, but you really don't have Bible for it. Yet. Going to get a witness. It's a certain feeling you've had, a certain thought you've had, but really you didn't really have, at this point, a concrete verse to refer to. I'll give you a Bible for that. The Bible said in Acts chapter 1 that he gave commandments to the apostles through the Holy Ghost. It's possible to receive biblical direction and not know the chapter and verse. Because the one that wrote the chapter and verse can move into your spirit and give you that principle even though you can't say, thus saith the word of the Lord. Now I had this principle revealed to me a long time ago by observation. See, when I started evangelizing, Brother McLean taught me this. Preach what you see, and then God will give you what you can't see. <laughs> I mean, if it's obvious, He don't need an angel to come tell. I see that. These people are not praying. These people are not worshiping. I don't need Michael to come give me a message I can see that well this principle I learned by observation but for the longest I had no Bible and so I was afraid to preach it Pentecost 
is a place where you can say what you want to say. But don't expect to walk out with somebody saying, would you tell me where you found that? And you know what I found? This is sarcasm. Preaching is really best when you have Bible. Haven't you found it's better that way? I mean, I've heard guys preach all kind of stuff. And there was really no Bible for it. You know, really. Sounds good. No Bible. So I, I, I noticed this. And I thought, I believe this is really the way it is. But I had no Bible. I found Bible. <laughs> I found Bible. For something that I had come to my heart and mind that I was fearful to preach. And here it is. God does not bless churches. Don't hurt yourself running now. (laughs) God does not bless churches. God Blesses ministries. And the church is blessed in proportion to the blessing of the man who stands right here. That's why the sign can say UPC or whatever it says. It can have a steeple. It can have padded pews. It can have carpet. It can have choirs. It can have drums. It can have music. It can have whatever it's got. But the sign nor the interior decorating is what makes the church the church. The thing that makes the church the church is the man that stands here. You believe what you believe because of the man that stands here. You've been healed because of the man that stands here. You've been delivered because of the man that stands. Now, a lot of people don't want to receive this word, but that's all right. There's other parts of it they don't want to receive either. But God does not bless churches. God blesses ministries. And the more blessed your ministry is, the more blessed the church is. Now that's challenging. That's challenging. But it's biblical. And here's where I, from the most unlikely place I found it. David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17 and 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, Goliath, and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? You know what battle in array means? You're lining up your army. You're lining up your soldiers. Israel over here. Philistines over there. Goliath said, why are you setting this thing up? Army against army. He said, why are you come out to set your battle in array? 
Am not I a Philistine and you're, you, your servants to Saul? Choose you a man from you and let him come down to me. Read. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we'll be your servants. Then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. Goliath said, this thing is not going to be determined by army against army. This is one man on one man. And whatever happens to your champion happens to your people. Whatever happens to my people's champion happens to my people. In other words, the only hope my people have is that I can defeat your champion. That's why the ministry is under attack. The devil realizes it more than we realize it. That if our preacher goes into bondage, the church is going into bondage. Compromise never starts in the pew. Compromise never starts in the pew. If our preacher's defeated, the church will be defeated. If our preacher's discouraged, the church will be discouraged. But if our preacher is anointed, the church will be anointed. If the preacher is liberated, the church will be liberated. If the preacher has victory, the church will have victory. Everybody stand, clap your hands. That's why you got to bless your preacher. That's why you got to pray for your pastor. That's why you got to support your pastor. One more verse, and they don't have it, but I'll give it to you. The Bible said about unity. It's like the anointing oil that comes upon the head. Everybody say the head of Aaron. And then what does it do? It flows down to the body. The anointing cannot get to the body if it doesn't touch the head. It will always start in the head. And the head of the church is the pastor. Before virtue gets out there, it comes through here. Before victory gets out there, it flows through here. Before deliverance gets out there, it comes through here. Because the yoke is not broken, but destroyed. Because... Of the anointing. I wasn't going to use this. Can the guys remain standing? We'll take one a moment. If, if the guys could help me here. Look at 1 Samuel 26. I think I'm right. If you get 1 Samuel 26 and 12, remain standing as we close. 
1 Samuel 26. Yeah. And 12. Notice this. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster. And they got them away. Saul, David had with him Abishai. And Saul was in a deep sleep that God had put on him. It wasn't just a normal nap. He was out. Probably like the nap that Adam took when Eve was born. (laughs) Some anesthesia just knocked him out. He was gone. He took a little too many melatonins. And David and his armor bearers came up to him. And Abishai said to David, he said, let me hit him once. Mm-hmm. If you'll let me smite him once, I won't have to do it twice. Mm-hmm. I can take him out now with one blow. David said, not so. We're going to take the spear, the cruise of water. And then he went across the valley. And David cried to the people. Abner! You're Saul's bodyguard. Where do you think I got this? The cruise of water. Hey! And I thought, oh my Lord. How did you get that close to him? And I didn't know it. David said, you're supposed to be a mighty man of God, aren't you? You're supposed to be the one that protects the king. In verse 16, David said, This thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, you are worthy to die because you have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. I'm afraid a lot of churches have not realized their responsibility. The ministry does have a responsibility, but it could be the reason that so many ministers are falling into difficulties and problems and challenges is because the church is not protecting the anointed. And David said, you are worthy to die because you did not protect the Lord's anointing. So as we celebrate 45 years, you're to be commended, but you're also to be challenged that it's your job to make sure his hands are up. It's your job to make sure that he doesn't get discouraged. It's your job to make sure that backsliders and and people who speak evil of him are not so granted the privilege. As Brother Marcus in that generation would say, and I close with this, there would not nearly be as many long tongues if there wasn't as nearly as many long ears. 
Now, I don't say that. I'm in a new generation. But it's still true. You need to make up your mind. You're going to protect the anointing. Because that's your deliverance. That's your healing. It can not get to you without first coming through Him. And I have Bible. And I have Bible. Therefore, it's impossible to love your pastor too much. It's impossible to bless him because as you bless him, it bounces off of him and comes right back into the congregation. I would like for brother and sister Green, their sons and their families to come stand in front of the pulpit. You don't have a certain closing here today, do you? Okay. If you'd step to the front, bring their family down. And as they, cl- as they come, you have applauded. No doubt you've given gifts. But maybe right now we could do something that you haven't done. Lift your hands and thank God for the anointing. Lift your hands and thank God for the anointing. God does not bless churches. God blesses ministries. You know, Israel recognized that one day David went out to a battle and the Bible said he was almost killed. And the men of Israel came to him and said, that's it, buddy. That's it. You're not going back out anymore. We're not going to let you be killed. You're the light of Israel. You're the anointed. And from that day, you know what happened? They started killing giants. David was the first giant killer, but he wasn't the last giant killer. But God enabled them to kill giants because they protected the giant killer. If you will protect the man of God in your life, God can give you power to have a ministry similar to His. Turn around and face the audience, folks. Not only do you need to pray for Brother and Sister Green, but these wonderful men of God and their wives and their children. So much rest on the shoulders of anointed ministry. And I'll just say this. We apostolic preachers, we don't come to the pulpit and whine. We don't come and tell you our our woeful tales of struggles that we're having. We say God's great when devastation just happened. We say all is well while we got a dead boy laying at home. And you need to thank God for that. 
But nevertheless, that doesn't mean that they don't have needs that God can supply. Place your hands this way and bless this whole family. We pray the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon this wonderful family. Let the strength of God be theirs. Let the mercies of God be theirs. And let the grace of God envelop them. Put a fresh anointing upon their lives. Send angels of mercy to encamp around about them. Cause this church to know how blessed they are because of the ministry that stands in this pulpit. I pray the grace of God to continue to lead them. I pray for peace, prosperity, and prolonged health by the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Now lift your hands and praise God. your hands and thank God for anointed, appointed, apostolic ministry. feel like that man that was at that wedding without that wedding garment on speechless I could say if I could see a man by the name of Bill Gates today I could say you just lost your place buddy I'm richer than you are I uh, promise you that I'm going to try to be everything that Brother Huntley evidently thinks I am and some of you think that I am. I have not arrived there yet, but I'm going to press on and we're going to reach it. By the help and grace of Almighty God. I uh, I honestly believe from the depths of my heart there's not a better church anywhere in the world than right here in Porter. I believe that. Bigger, yes, yes, but not better. I want to personally, while I've got the mic before we go, 
I want to thank each and every member of this church for loving us, for your faithfulness, for your loyalty, for the honor that you have bestowed upon my wife and I myself and included my family, my children. All the untiring work that has gone on this week from everybody. Everything that any of you have ever added to these services and making them available. You know I don't like things like this. But you do it anyway because you love God that much. And you want to do what the Bible says to And so you have. But I want you to know that I cannot reward you for all your labor. I don't even know and never will know what each and every one of you have done to contribute to this weekend. But God knows. And God will reward each and every one of you. And I'm asking him to give you a double reward for all that you have done. I appreciate and thank each and every one of you that have come to be with us this weekend. I know that you've had other places you could have been and may have should have been. But I appreciate so much your being here. And I hope you can come back tonight, if possible, and hear another outstanding preacher. These, this weekend, you've heard Brother Booker, you've heard Brother Huntley, and you're going to hear Brother Garrett. And these are my some of my three closest, I mean closest, in the spirit, in the spirit, men living today. So to me, is it, was it Hallmark that said, I care enough to give you the very best? Yeah. And you're dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus. God bless you. Shake hands. Greet one another. <laughs>